When we look at the issue of migration, we're looking, first of all, at over 280 million people who are on the move internationally. That doesn't even include the people who are on the move within their own country, but they are no longer able to live in the community that they've come from, right? So I think there are there are a couple of key issues that emerge for me. Number one, we simply don't have enough regular pathways for people who do not have opportunities or cannot continue to live at home. We have really the aside and Refugee Convention, which offers refuge for those people who fall into a particular class of persons, but we don't have solutions for people who are fleeing dire poverty, people who cannot live at home because of gang violence, people who don't have an opportunity for themselves or an ability to feed their children. Earlier this week, your organization said that an unprecedented number of migrants have risked their lives this year crossing the dangerous Darien jungle between Colombia and Panama. Also, we know that more than 2,300 people have been reported dead or missing in the Mediterranean already this year. What has to be done to stop these tragedies? When we look at just the point where a migrant is reaching a border, whether it's the Mediterranean Sea or it's the U.S. southern border, it means that we fail to engage and recognize what has caused somebody to move, right? So we need to first look at what's happening for them at home. What opportunities do they have at home? How safe are they at home? We also need to then look at points along their journey and identify whether there are ways to better engage with people, whether it's around assuring ourselves or finding whether they have a protection pathway or finding an alternative, whether it's humanitarian assistance or it's a regular pathway that comes with a job, for example. So it's critical that we start to think about migration much more comprehensively, not just at the point where someone is getting on a boat. And we've had the um, Global Compact for Migration for five years now, since it's been endorsed by the General Assembly. What is your evaluation of this tool and its success? And do you feel like the international community is failing migrants today? I think we need to do so much more to normalize and validate the compact for migration. First, starting with the assumption that migration is good for communities, right? So when you look at the global compact for migration, underpinning it is the premise that when migration is safe, when it's orderly, when it's humane, it results in better outcomes for more people. And ultimately, that's the work that we're trying to do. But there's so much more work that has to happen, starting with the way we even talk about migration. An interesting point that you raised was how in today's um, aging societies in many, many countries, migration can be a great benefit to communities. How do you see that and how can you drive that narrative forward? Demographics are changing in very drastic ways across the world. When you look at North America, when we look at Europe, when we look at parts of Asia, there are communities whose birth rate right now will not allow them to continue the innovation and economic development that they have grown used to. In order to narrow that gap and in order to continue to achieve innovation, we need migration. So. We start with something like even care for elderly people. There aren't sufficient number in the workforce to provide that care without migration. Ultimately, I think that countries will really be competing for migrants, but we really need to change the narrative around migration before we get there. And now on the topic of climate-driven migration, we know that it's on the rise. We know that this year we have the El Nino phenomenon, which is a warming climate phenomenon, which will probably fuel displacement even further. What have you been hearing on the ground from the people affected by this crisis? 
I'm seeing the results of climate-driven migration everywhere I go. I was in Kenya just a couple weeks ago for the Africa Climate Summit. I went down to Dadaab, which is one of the biggest refugee camps within Africa. And what I saw was over 100,000 new people who'd come to Dadaab, not because of conflict in Somalia, but because of drought because they could no longer make a living at home. And in some cases, people actually had left Adab, gone back home, and had been unable to make a living, so they'd come back. That's just one part of the world, but we're seeing that play out everywhere. According to UNFCCC, over 300 million people living in climate-sensitive areas. That will continue to be the reality for so many people around the world. How will you make sure that IOM is able to face the huge challenges posed by climate-driven migration, that it's fit for purpose in this new era? We're going to make some investments in the organization so that we can better respond. Number one, we're investing in data and our data analysis. We have excellent data about why people move, but we don't have the data about what's happening in terms of the changing climate. But other agencies do and the private sector does. So there's an opportunity for us to partner with them to create a better assessment of those communities that are at risk of displacement. Number two is about identifying interventions that can work before people have to move. In some cases, it can be very, very low cost intervention, drilling a borehole in a community that's at risk of drought, working with communities on better agricultural approaches. And in some cases, it'll mean investing and training people for new opportunities. If they're no longer going to be able to make a living working from home as a result of climate change, then let's work with them now so that they can get the jobs of the future. What makes you optimistic about the international community's solidarity with people on the move because of climate change? Ultimately, migration has transformative power to drive better outcomes, particularly for those people who are at risk of the most extreme impacts of climate change. I'm very optimistic because right now you see the international community coming together, recognizing the real impact that climate change can have on vulnerable communities and working together to drive solutions. That's where IOM will be under my leadership.